Hey Rick, would you like to coach more efficiently, be more athlete-centered, led by data, and get some awesome results? Oh, yes. All right, well then Coach Tools is the coaching platform for you. Coach Tools is a coaching platform with all the necessary coaching tools in one place, from planning sessions to caring about your people. It is an easy-to-use platform for coaches, head of coaches, managers, and directors with an athlete-centered approach. With efficient digital tools, you will save your time, improve the quality of your work, and enable you a way to succeed. Rick, why don't you go ahead and tell all the listeners all the benefits they'll get by signing up with Coach Tools? Well, first of all, you will be much more efficient with your practice planning because you can plan it within a couple of clicks. Then um, you can be proactive for your athlete overload with exertion follow-up. Um, what is also very, very beneficial, and that is actually my favorite part about Coach Tools, that you can build closer relationships and better trust with them and get and give feedback through an athlete-centered coaching approach. That's the hallmark of Coach Tools. Um, you understand much more better their moods, their expectations, their values and goals, because after every game, after every practice, they fill out the very, very simple questionnaire and communication is so, so easy. And you can set up cheats and you can set up all the goals and you can follow it up, you can follow it up very, very quick, easily. And then um, this is also very valuable benefit is you enhance the learning of your athletes. You can illustrate drills, content, uh, tactics with the drawing board and you can store it at all one place and you can access this all the time you can share it with your club you can share it with someone else with other coaches and then um, all the information are always available for athletes and the coaches just one click and it's very easy um, it's very easy designed on on top of this there are many many more valuable tools which you can explore when using coach tools yeah, so as Rick said, there's so much more that you can do with Coach Tools. And, and all of our listeners can get a 20% discount on their first year subscription. All you guys need to go is to go to www.coachtools.net. That's www.coachtools.net and click start free trial and just mention that we, we brought you there from the Coach Tools podcast. All right. Let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Vogue podcast presented by Coach Tools. Today, we are joined by Victor Ciampolini from Brazil, who is a PhD candidate uh, for physical education. We talked to Victor today about, you know, his um, his approach to coach education and how coaches should approach coach education opportunities. But then also we talked to him about a really unique research opportunity that he had to observe and learn from a uh, coach educator in the Brazilian Rugby Federation uh, who was, you know, learner-centered without knowing he was learner-centered and, and learning what he did and, and showing that in his and Vitor's research. So it was really interesting to chat about that and get to learn from, from that experience that Vitor had. Yeah, and I think it is definitely a unique episode for two specific reasons. The first reason is that um, Vitor is our first guest from South America. And secondly, I think we do not have anyone on our show who, who was actually following someone else, be it a player, a coach, or coach developer over, over a certain specific amount of time to follow. Um, his or her behavior so that I think these two reasons 
make the episode very, very, very unique. And um, Vito is wrapping up very soon his PhD and we wish him all the best with it. But now it's time to head it over to Vita Ciampolini, um, a coach developer from Brazil who speaks a little bit about Millie and his story here today on our podcast. So now we would like to welcome on Vitor Ciampolini, a PhD candidate, candidate in PE uh, from Brazil. Vitor, thanks for taking the time and joining us here today. How's everything going with you? Pretty good, pretty good, Rick. Thank you so much, Rick and Derek, for having me today. I'm excited to share some of the research I've been doing and the reflections I've been having in sports coaching. But specifically today, I feel like we're going to talk about Uh, we're going to talk about more uh, the coach developer role, how to deliver coach education courses and how coaches should um, better approach coach education courses to leverage that and, and like improve their practices as well. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. Um, in one of your articles, you mentioned something that caught my attention directly. There was written that in Brazil, in order to be able to coach, you need to run through a coach education, meaning that you need to pursue a bachelor's degree at the minimum amount. Um, and based based on this, I wanted to ask you, how does it actually impact the quality of coaching in Brazil? Uh, that's, that's a really good question, Rick. And um, This, this is actually a rule that is supposed to be fantastic because, I mean, if you think about um, having coaches going for a four-year course in the university level, that means, that should mean actually that all the coaches are going to be like really highly competent and they're going to be able to deliver amazing coaching practices. But there's also another aspect to that that we should consider as well is that um, When, when people start PE in Brazil and they have several courses on physiology, biomechanics, and I mean, they start to understand how complex the process is and they want to use that knowledge in the, their coaching practice. So sometimes they forget about the main piece of coaching, which is the human aspect, because they're so worried about the biomechanic aspect, the physiology the pedagogy, the psychology that they forget about being like a good human being. So I do, I do believe and I do agree that it's good for Brazil that we have this requirement for coaches to take the university level course uh, to be able to work as sport coaches. But at the same time, there is this backdrop. There is this also negative uh, impact that coaches sometimes are too worried about results, their outcomes and other aspects that maybe are not extremely benefit for uh, youth and children participation in sports. So it is good. Like I can totally tell that it is important and coaches um, in the four university level, they develop like a, a basic set of competencies that are very important for them to work as a sport coach. But we're always trying to remind them that they cannot forget The main aspect of being a coach which is being a good a good human being and trying to develop people through sport as well 
So yeah, that's that's a good start for our conversation today. Yeah, I, I think that rule is really interesting. I think Brazil is maybe the only country that I know of that has that uh, requirement for its sport coaches. And I, I think that there's a lot that goes into it. And I, I want to talk a little bit more about yourself. So obviously, with that rule in Brazil, you've been educated at the bachelor's level now pursuing your, your PhD. And we were just chatting beforehand, almost done. So good luck with the rest of that and, and everything like that. But um, can you share a little bit about, you know, your educational background in coaching and, and kind of where you got your start and just kind of overall background about how you got to where you are now? Good. So, yeah, before I, I explain my, my whole background, it, it's, it's important for me to say that I was born in the south of Brazil and I grew up in a countryside city in Sao Paulo state. So both of these places were very well developed. I can say that. And in other, in other places, because, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about my background and people may think that, oh, this is how Brazil is like, the whole Brazil. And of course not. Brazil is a huge country and we have uh, different cultures, different uh, settings. And I mean, I was born in, in, in the south of Brazil and I started practicing sports when I was really young, like maybe, maybe like both of you as well, started playing soccer, tennis, uh, surfing because I come from an island in the south of Brazil called Florianópolis. And uh, I mean, sports was my passion. I started my undergrad when I was 18. And in Brazil, you have to take a test to start university and you have to decide either going for a license to work in the school environment or you're going for a bachelor's to work as a sport coach or a personal trainer, for example. So I, I opt out for the bachelor's because I wanted to be a coach. And the four years of undergrad, um, all the sport courses that I took, I was always trying my best to improve my, my coaching competences because I played basketball when I was, uh, I started playing basketball when I was 14, 15. And that was uh, the main sport I played until 17, 18. Then I continued to play in, in recreational level for university uh, that I that I took my undergrad course, so I wanted to become a basketball player, uh, a basketball coach. And after I finished my undergrad, I started my master's, and I still wanted to be a coach. And that's why I started investigating coach development, coach education, coach learning, because it was like lots of the things that I was reading in the articles made sense to me. And I was trying to develop my philosophy, develop my competencies that I actually started to use uh, during the undergrad because I, I worked as a coach for wheelchair tennis for one year and a half. So I worked with adapted sports first. Then I started working with basketball in 2018. And I worked for two years until the pandemic hit. So uh, I've been trying to and say like maybe bridge the gap uh, between research and practice, trying to use the research I was either uh, writing or reading in, and try to apply that on my daily uh, experiences as a coach. Yeah, and, and you mentioned something very important here, which I think we often forget about, you know, running a podcast and listening to so many podcasts and videos and everything like that is that importance of not generalizing based off of, you know, maybe one experience or one story kind of thing. And, um, you know, growing up in the Brazilian countryside doesn't represent, you know, everyone that grew up in Brazil. And I think that's, that's really important for coaches to remember when they are going into, you know, a new type of either formal or informal learning that, 
you know, every individual I still meet and interact with as a coach after this education is still going to be unique, have a unique background, have unique things that constrain them and, and so forth. And I want to shift now because we've talked about it a little bit with the, the bachelor's education and the, the formal side. Um, and you mentioned it at the beginning, like how coaches should approach, you know, coach education opportunities. There's a lot of different types of opportunities for learning out there with coaches. So, um, you know, kind of start on that and, and how should coaches go into a coach education and, you know, what kind of mindset should they have? What should they be looking for? And, and, and just things like that, if you would. Yeah, for sure, Derek. And I mean, what we, I've been working as a coach developer delivering courses for Brazilian federations in the past four years. I've been actually helping my supervisor, Michelle Milistad, who is actually in charge of uh, most of the projects we have with the sports federation in Brazil. And I've been helping him. And what we normally see is that coaches who think they know everything, they, they attend our courses and they are like, oh, I don't think I need that. Like, you're talking about some stuff that maybe they don't make sense to me. Um, I'm, I'm good where I am. I, I learned a lot already. I went to the university, so I, I took this four-year course already. I don't, I don't need to learn anymore. But the coaches who are actually like high level, like winning national championships or like going for the Olympics, you know, they're like the best country, the best coaches in Brazil. They are always ready to learn. And this is super important for us to, to reflect because even though they are participating in international competitions, they are going for the highest competitions in the world. If I go there and I'm 29 years old and maybe they're like 40, 50 years old, they're always like trying to learn something from me. And we, we can extrapolate that if we think of athletes as well. Like there are several stories that like Michael Jordan was learning from uh, somebody younger than him, like Kobe uh, talking to younger people, uh, younger athletes going to the NBA because he wanted to improve his shooting skills. So uh, now we have this concept of mindset, right? Like a, a growing mindset and stuff. So it's, it, I mean, if we are talking about how coaches should approach coach education courses, for me, my first and main um, suggestion would be try to learn and try to take away something from the course you're going to attend because maybe that's going to be a huge difference in your coaching practice and maybe it's going to be like just a small tip a small strategy you're going to start using but you can definitely take out every uh, something from every per, uh, from every experience or coach education course you you participate you have been mentioning it right there and it was a very thought-provoking thought you pointed out here is that coaches who pretend they know everything they say i don't need to learn and um, that also correlates to one of the papers you wrote about lifelong learn pathway a life lifelong learning pathway of a coach developer uh, operating in a national sport federation and um, there's something towards the end of the article you highlighted it is that um I want to read it out because I think it's better if I read it out instead of just explaining. Um, literally thrown into a coaching role with no previous coaching experience, exposed Maya to many instances of disjuncture, which he embraced in order to improve his skills. A few years later, Miles was invited to act as a 
college rugby coach during uh, this time he was starting to gain more and more peer recognition as a competent women's rugby coach such recognition compelled him to continuously look for improvement in his coaching skills so the reason why i'm reading this out because it first of all it reminds me on, of uh, derek's story he has been telling for several times where he was just throwing into the coaching water when he was starting to coach 10 new so can you just explain from a coach developer perspective perspective how important it's actually just to get started with coaching and really getting that practical experience yeah so in this article we followed um a highly competent coach developer in Brazil that operates in rugby and the National Rugby Federation. And I mean, in his story, you can see how important it was for him to have uh, a previous experience in sport as a rugby athlete. Then he started coaching um, when he was young, actually. I don't know if this specific data appears in the article, but he started coaching when he was Uh, still a young person he, he wasn't in the university yet but he was like not like formally coaching but helping uh, the coach and his club to to organize the practices to deliver some activities so that was extremely important for him and he actually said in the, say say in the article that when he started university and then started his formal role as a coach that's when he started to connect what the professors in the university were talking about and what the, uh, and the challenges he was facing every day as a sports coach. So, I mean, that's probably the main positive aspect of some countries that do not require the, uh, the bachelors in physical education or kinesiology to, to work as a, a sports coach, because sometimes this formal requirement may hinder uh, people from starting in early ages to to work uh, as sports coaches. I have a friend from example, for example, here in Canada, and his uh, 14-year-old daughter, she's a gymnastics uh, athlete, and she's already working as an assistant coach and making money out of it. Maybe as a Brazilian, I would say that's ridiculous. Like she needs to go to the university to take a four-year uh, course level like I did. Uh, but that's awesome for her. She's learning a lot from that experience. She, she maybe she, she'll um, have a different perspective that I have as a Brazilian coming from a, a different culture. So I do believe it's, it's extremely important for people to have the practical experience to understand the needs of athletes and to have a different perspective, right? Because when we are athletes, we have the practical, like just to, just to answer what our coaches are asking us, for, asking us to do. But when you start a different role, Uh, that's when you start having different reflections and you can definitely take advantage of the university level course. Yeah, I, I think Miller's story is is so fascinating and I, I hope I'm saying his name correctly there. I'm sorry if I'm yeah, not. Yeah, you are, but, yeah. <laughs> all right, perfect. Um, but, you know, I, I want to dive into that a little bit more because it's such a unique uh, research, I think. And, and you really followed him along and, and viewed his pathway throughout, you know, his entire, you went back to his entire childhood and and you know, I want to ask, like, first of all, like, what, what was interesting initially that made you want to follow him and, and research <laughs> him? And, and like, what, what did you see in him that said, like, hey, I want to, I want to know more about why and how he does what he does? Yeah, it's a great question, Derek. And I'm going to have to tell you that it was kind of uh, not a coincidence, but we, we didn't expect to find such a, a great person, great professional, because in, 20, in 2015, we 
uh, I started working on a paper to identify how the coach, uh, the sports federations in Brazil were organizing their coach development programs. programs. And this article was published in the Sports Coaching Review in 2016. And we have like a full analysis on all the federations in Brazil, how many offer coach education programs and how their programs are offered to, to the coaches in Brazil. And I don't play rugby. Uh, it's a coincidence that I studied for four years with a guy that played for the national team, but I, I've never played rugby. And rugby is not a, it's not a big sport in Brazil. It's, it's definitely a big sport in, in England. Uh, it's a big sport in in New Zealand, in South Africa, in Ireland, but not in Brazil. And we, were, as researchers, we were like, why does the Brazilian Rugby Federation has such a good program? And we called the federation to identify, like, who is in charge of this program? And they, they told us, oh, this is, this is Mili. This is, um, uh, this is our, uh, the responsible in our federation to organize a whole program. So this is his, his email. You can contact him directly. So I contacted him and I was like, okay, I'm going to do my master's around this, this organization. Because for some reason, in a country where soccer is the major sport, the rugby federation were, was highlighted amongst the, all, all the other 42 federations in Brazil. So I decided to conduct my master's with the federation, not with Mili. Um, and in December 2016, I watched his first, I mean, I watched for the first time a course that he was delivering. And as soon as I started, like the first 10 minutes of the course, I was like, well, this guy is special. There's something different about this guy that we are, I mean, I, at the time I was reading learner-centered teaching, which is a theory that suggests like how uh, educational environment, educational classes, courses, uh, should be organized and delivered um, to be more meaningful and impactful in terms of learning and development. But this guy, Mili, he was not studying learner-centered teaching, but he was doing everything that I was listening and I was reading in the books. So I was like, I actually asked him, asked him like, Mili, do you know this theory, like learner-centered teaching? Have you ever heard about it? He was like, nope, never. So I was like, wow. This guy is different. There's something, there's something special about this guy, and I'm going to follow him for the next couple of months. So I was able to actually watch another two, uh, other two courses that he delivered. Uh, so in, in the Brazilian Rugby Federation, they have three levels. I watched one level one and two level two courses. And I, uh, I was also able, in the article, it doesn't show that, but on my master's, I also watched a short-term workshop, three-hour workshop on Scrum. It was just like a, a, a rugby coach talking for three hours about Scrum. And I mean, if I think about the three-hour workshop and Mealy's level one course, which is seven hours, not too long, seven or eight hours, I mean, the strategies, the didactics, like the pedagogy behind it, it was extremely completely different like the the, the, the coach on the, the workshop was just like extremely instructor centered and Mili was extremely learner centered and i mean i can give you i can give you examples about that but yeah. hope that that kicks off our our conversation about him <laughs> yeah well like i i do want examples but i want to start with because in in the paper you wrote about him um in 2020 you you were mentioning about um, and I can't, I can't think of the, um, the direct quote, but 
you were mentioning about how his previous experiences had kind of shaped him into the coach developer that he was. Can you go into that a little bit? Because I think it's really interesting. We we always talk about this idea of learner-centered, athlete-centered kind of talk. And, yep. um, and most of the people that, that know about it or do it have, you know, read about it or listened to someone talk about it. And to to have someone just kind of doing it, being not aware, like what, what in his background do you think kind of helped shift him towards that that way of doing things, if, if that's kind of fair to say. Yeah, it's a combination of things, actually, because if you if you look at his experiences in elementary and high school, he he described his high school experience as boring and without challenges. That's how he described high school. And he actually told me a story that it's not in the article, but he said that sometimes you would get to school at like seven, eight, eight a.m. He would sleep during the classes and wake up at 11 a.m. with a friend saying, hey, man, class is over. Let's let's go home. So he slept for three, four hours in school. And he wasn't he told me, like, I, I didn't like to study. School was not fun at all. Like I, I would watch this guy's neck in front of me for four hours. And he actually used the word uh, uh, while our teacher was regurgitating content for us. So he, he did have uh horrible or like not motivational experience in high school when he uh, started uh, the military service in Brazil which is not which is mandatory for you to apply but not everyone is going to get selected uh, Mili was selected and started his uh, experience in the military and when he had his first opportunity to to teach and instruct young servicemen, that's when he was like, yeah, I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to, I'm not going to regurgitate content for them. Uh, I'm going to do something different. So he started like timing challenges and giving them tasks for them to solve problems. So he, he reflected on the things that he didn't like it and tried to do differently. And that's something coaches should do all the time. What did you like that your coach did with you and did uh, with your team? And what did you, what you don't, what you, what you didn't like? So you have to identify those experiences. But at the same time, that's not the answer for everything. Because maybe you liked a very rigid coach and your athletes don't want you to be rigid with them. So you should reflect on your previous experiences. At the same time, you should adapt them to the audience you have, to your athletes, right? I mean, society changes. We cannot keep repl replicating things that we like because we like them, right? So first changing point in Mili's uh, pathway was uh, his military service when he had the opportunity to teach uh, young servicemen. But at the same time, he, was, he, he continued to accept the challenges of becoming a, 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 a sports coach. He was one of the main responsibles for women's rugby in Brazil. He was part of the first national team we had. Uh, so he was like accepting the challenge of, of uh, fostering women's rugby in Brazil. Uh, after that, he was like, no, I'm done with coaching. I want to help coaches to become better people, better coaches. So he, he started like traveling abroad because Uruguay and Argentina and South America are very um, Rugby is very popular there. So he started traveling to other countries to take courses. And that's when he started developing his coach developer philosophy. Uh, he took some very interesting courses. 
um, I mean, he started understanding how to become a better coach, how to become a better coach developer. And that's when, I mean, he took the steps to, to become an extremely competent coach developer. But he, I mean, if I could summarize it all, I would say he was open to challenges. No, he tried to do something different. Yeah, that's, that's something that I think we all strive to do is, is challenge ourselves and, and do something differently. And, and it's nice to see like, it just kind of naturally happening out there. It kind of gives you a little bit of like a hope for, for, you know, well, specifically Brazilian rugby, but also um, other coach development programs and, and what we can learn from him. And I, I want to talk more about, you know, what are those, what are those things in his delivery and his facilitation that we can take away and, and utilize when we run our own, you know, educations and, and development sessions. So, you know, Besides the reflection, because I, I think that's a, an important part that, that you just mentioned, reflecting on past experiences and seeing how we can do things differently. What else do you think that coach developers can take away from Millie and his work and his coaching coach developer philosophy? Yeah, that's that's really, really interesting. And we tried to answer this question in the last piece of the article when we have like practical recommendations for the 2021 paper. Um, from watching Mealy in three courses, uh, interviewing him several times, uh, chatting with him informally because we actually became friends and we still talk to this day. Um, I tried to summarize that in eight bullet points that would be interesting for coach developers. But if you think about it, it's not only for the sports environment. You can also use that as a elementary school teacher, uh, as a university professor, right? Um, so the first thing was, and that, that was something that Mealy always did, like in the three, the three courses I watched and he told me that's something that he does not negotiate. He always does that. Uh, getting to know the people who are participating in the course. He never gets there and just starts lecturing or like delivering the course. He always gets there and, okay, guys, let's take like a five minute, 10 minutes to introduce ourselves, introduce ourselves to, to each other. Um, so I know where you're coming from. If you're coaching recreational level or high performance level, if you have any previous experience, if you um, if you played rugby uh, before. So like one of the main quotes that I have for this article is that he always knows what what is the main goal of this course. Right. And from knowing the main goal of the course, he adapts what he's going to deliver according to the needs of the people who are there. So uh, get to know your coaches. And at the same time, we can say the same thing about, uh, we, can say, we can say the same thing for coaches, which is like, get to know your athletes, right? If you go to a coaching practice and you wanna uh, coach them to improve their layups, maybe they already know layups, or maybe you can use one athlete as an example to show them how they, they layup should be like, and maybe this athlete can give them tips that are going to be even better than yours as a coach, because they speak the same language, not like a English, English, but like the same age, age language. Right. So maybe they can have even better examples. So they can use examples from professional athletes that you don't know about. So get to know your your coaches and get to know your athletes it's definitely the first step for you to kick off the course after that you can make some adaptations and uh, organize your 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 delivery to to meet their needs right 
Um, overall, like speaking about Miles and his approach towards coach development, and um, something that crossed my mind is uh, that is very important is that actually in coaching and coach development, how do we actually use our time to get to be to work most efficiently? So you said that Miles, he was a, he's a very very high level pro professional in his field. Um, could you just dive into how he's utilizing his time to get the maximum out of everything? I mean, I, I would say he works a lot. <laughs> I would say he works a lot and he's very passionate about it. Um, rugby has five values, right? Uh, I don't know if you know about it, but uh, they, they have the drips values, uh, discipline, respect, integrity, passion, and solidarity. And it's interesting to have passion as one of the five values of rugby. Like, why passion? Why not honesty? Why not fair play? Whatever. But they have passion. And it's, I'm not a rugby guy, like I said, but it's funny how passion drives people that actually play rugby. They're part of the rugby community. So maybe Mealy did not get super well paid when he was actually, he's not, the, the, he's not, in the rugby uh, federation anymore. Maybe he was extremely well paid. Maybe um, he didn't get the recognition he, he deserved, but he was extremely passionate about it. Uh, so that's how he was able to manage and do everything he needed to do because he was doing that with his whole heart. You know, I don't know if that answers your question, Rick, but uh, please let me know if there's any other nuances you would like me to talk about. Well, I, I kind of want to reframe that question a little bit and, and see if we can dive deeper into that. Because when you think about an actual, you know, coach developer session, like we've we've talked about, um, I think it was most recently with, with Vetland Dahlberg from the Norwegian Ice Hockey Federation. We were talking about, you know, um, or maybe that's not right. But anyway, um, how short, you know, like how inefficient one evening session is for coach development, right? Like how, how little that is. So... In, in your experience with, with Millet, like how, how did he capitalize on that and find that balance between, you know, trying to get through all the content that, you know, we needed to get through today in this three-hour session versus, you know, really getting to know those people? I don't know how, you know, if that's, if that's something he has a problem with with the Rugby Federation and ha having short educations. But, you know, I guess maybe a more general question is how do we utilize our time within an individual session? To make sure that we're balancing the the content and also the the learner centered part of the education. Yeah, it, it's it's a very difficult question because there's not a right answer for that. Uh, the main the main aspect to dictate what's going to be right or wrong, if we can use that as a dichotomy, is how the person is leaving the session, because maybe uh, one coach took a very simple stuff from the course, but it's going to help him or her a lot in their coaching practice. Uh, so like one coach actually said in one of the interviews that I did for my master's, like, I, I don't understand why the courses are, di are different uh, for every time he delivers because like, maybe I'm not listening to important content because nobody asked the question about it. And I was like, yeah, but that's what learner-centered is about. If you didn't ask the question, it's maybe because you were not ready to ask that question yet, or maybe you didn't have that issue yet. So 
the, the, the coach developer needs to know um, what is the main goal or the specific goals for that course. Like what are the, what are the main competences or content we need to touch on this course? And what's enough? Because there is one very important dimension of uh, learner-centered teaching, which is the function, um, the function of content. And if you're, if you're just thinking of delivering content in your course, like what's the point of it? Are you going to talk about content six hours straight and nobody's going to ask you a question? And like, who is the course for? Is the course for you? Or is the course for the athlete, the course for the, for the, for the coaches? You're delivering a course not for yourself. If you were delivering a course for yourself, you can do that at home. And I mean, at home and not in Zoom because you can, now you can do both, right? You can be at home, but actually, actually deliver a course at Zoom. But if you're delivering a course for the coaches, you must understand what they need. And you must change your, your content, your, your approach to adapt to their needs. And it's the same thing with athletes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue making this analogy because it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Um, so Millie was always like trying to um, touch on their needs. But at the same time, at, in some topics, he would say, no, the question you're asked now is too complicated for the people we have now. I can talk about that with you in our break for 15 minutes. But unfortunately, I'm not going to cover that for the whole class because that's too advanced for the people we have. Or maybe that's too simple. I can explain it to you after, uh, after our break, but uh, I cannot continue talking about that. You know, it, it's a difficult situation. It's, it's a human activity. There's no right or wrong for that. Yeah. And I have to say, like, that's something I really struggled with. And, and I, I'm, I'm still very young and, and I would say, you know, not not very educated and in, in actually like coach development and, and, and what that, you know, what that really means and everything like that. But that was one of the hardest things for me to grasp early on in my coach development career. Like, I don't need to get through everything like that's Exactly. That's such a hard thing to think about. Because, you know, especially I think from from my culture and in, in the States, like, hey, it, it's in the schooling that I had growing up, it's like, hey, here's what you need to know for the exam and see you at the exam kind of thing and that yeah yeah, yeah go ahead yeah, yeah let me ask you both of you a question that's actually going to make you reflect on this like, a specific situation on, on having to adapt your course to their needs so if you were i mean i'm going to use an, a basketball example so if you want to teach your athletes how to do a reverse layup right coming from coming from one side and going to the the next one right um and you get there and you you have like an awesome plan. Like you organize five activities. They're going to progressively help your athletes to make the awesome uh, reverse layup. But in the first activity, you see that they don't know how to balance themselves and they're not taking the steps right. And if they don't know that, they are not able to follow the other four activities that you still have. What do you do? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. Um, I'm not a basketball coach, you know, I, no I'm problem, trying to remember. No, no, yeah, I'm just trying to remember what a reverse layup looks like. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think from similar experiences on the ice with hockey, like you, you, you spend more time on it. And this is Rick and I coached together for a year. And, and this is where one of the things I really learned from Rick is that patience on the ice and understanding that, you know, hey, the 20 minutes is up, but they're not ready for the next drill. They're not ready for the next game. 
they need more time on this or maybe even you know an easier variation where they can you know pick it up a little bit easier or maybe you know an easier easier variation of what you were planning to do next so yep. again it's like it's like what you just said there's no one way to do it one way to to you know progress correctly or regress correctly or anything like that but you know trying to adjust on the fly and reflect on the fly and and see what's wrong or or what they need additionally um before you move on to the the next thing and i i think that's how i would approach it is just kind of you know quickly either discuss in my head or discuss with the coaches next to me really quickly and figure out okay hey they're not ready for this what can we go to instead so that we're not doing the same thing for 30 minutes 40 minutes but we're we're not don't jumping too far ahead kind of thing um but yeah i don't know that's just me rick what do you think um <clears throat> i'm sorry um obviously i'm not um coach developer and that's not my goal to be a coach developer and i'm not a basketball coach i i'm a hockey coach but of course i can relate to this example actually um the question you asked provoked another thought in my mind which i had actually recently for example very often we say in coaching that or in sports that okay at 16 you you need to be able to execute this skill at 18 you you need to be execute you need to be able to execute this skill at 20 you need to be able to execute this playing skill you need to be able to follow this game plan but then also um, very often maybe and then there's the understanding or when we observe and saying they can't do it but then it's actually at a specific age group it's not it's not appropriate to say we don't have time to do it anymore so then <laughs> and and that in that situation when you're at 18 you and there's something they're su supposed uh, they're supposed to be able to do but it's they are not there yet then you can't do what you should do then you need to maybe go back and then go there what needs to be done right now mm -hmm. um that's just a thought i had recently in my mind and i think that just relates to the example you gave so just really looking at not what you actually able need to need to be able to do right now or what is expected to you at a certain stage you need to do what's necessary at the moment yeah, yeah just to just to continue this reflection and the questions we normally receive in coach the coach education courses in brazil is that like after we have those type of reflections one coach is going to raise his or her hand and say Okay, so if there's no right or wrong in such situation that our athlete is asking us to change our coaching plan because they need to learn something before we move on, how do I decide? Like, how can I have any grasps, grasps of information where I could that I could use to decide for that? And then our answer normally is like, welcome to the coach, coaching activity. It's a human activity. Like it's, it's not math. It's not one plus one. Like you're not coaching robots. You're coaching human beings and they're going to be different. They're going to ask you to uh, change your, your plans because they are changed already. So to me, that's the beauty of human development and human activity. Uh, when I think of now in my PhD, I'm, I'm investigating more human development and uh, it's not necessarily human learning, but to me, that's the beauty of it. It's the, it's the fact that we don't know what's going to happen. And that's actually the beauty of sports as well. We don't know who's going to win. We don't know what's going to happen, who's going to score. 
So to me, working with coaches, working with athletes, it's, it's such a beauty because uh, we're trying to help them develop. And at the same time, we don't know if they will. We don't know if after a course they're, they're going to be better or they're going to be, uh, I don't know, different. But that's the beauty of it. Like, if, if I want to make sure something's going to happen, I should be working with computers because it's easier to, like, have, like, an equation or something and have a result. Like, I, I could deliver a learner-centered teaching coach developer, uh, coach education course extremely well, like, scientific-based, and nothing could happen. Yeah. And to me, that's not uh, frustrating. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. Well, okay. I have a computer science degree and I say, I'll say that it's not, <laughs> it's not so easy, you know, <laughs> one reason I'm not doing it anymore, but no, um, no, I think coaching and coach development is just more fun, but um, no, I, I agree. And I, I, you know, one thing that we're not even talking about here is, you know, are, are some of your athletes or some of your coaches ready to take that next step? You know, if you think about a team sport, you'll, you'll often have that, you know, maybe 25% of the players are ready to jump to the next activity. 50% of them need to keep on the same level and 25 of them maybe need to take a step back. How do you manage that situation? And, and that's mm -hmm. what's really, really fun for me as a coach and a coach developers. Every session, every practice, you, you face those challenges where you're like, okay, hey, how do I solve this the best for everybody? It's not just the best for the team, it's the best for you know, each individual within that group. And, and that's the most challenging part for me, but also the most fun piece of the puzzle. And, you know, I, I want to, um, I want to take a step back because we mentioned at the beginning when we were talking about how coaches should approach coach education. And now we're talking, you know, a little bit more on the, the coach developer side of things. And I want to ask you there because you mentioned that coaches should approach an education you know, hoping to get something out of it, whether it's a little idea that they can implement, or if it's, it's a big change in their coaching. Um, how much of that is on the coach developer? And how much of that should we put on ourselves when we're running, like when we're running sessions, when we're running educations, that, you know, how do we set that mindset right away? Like, hey, get something out of this session. Don't just be here to be here. Don't just go through the motions. Like, how, how do we frame that mindset? Uh, and what kind of responsibility is on us to frame that mindset for the, the coaches we're, we're working with? Um, I'm actually not an expert in, in mindset, Derek. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have like a specific answer for that, but I can tell you from experience and I can tell you how Mili approached uh, the experience of being researched because uh, at first he was just a coach developer that was participating there, but after a few courses, I decided to take a step further and investigate his whole pathway. That's when the second article um, on his learning pathway came about. So Mili, uh, like I said, he didn't know learner-centered teaching, but as soon as we started talking about that, he was like, wow, that's, even though I'm doing lots of stuff related to that, I think I can still change some of, some of my, my courses considering the five dimensions and specific indicators of learner-centered teaching. So um, even though I always say like, Mili, I learned a lot from our friendship, from doing my master's with you. He's always says, uh, I learned much more than you. Like he was extremely important for me. Even though we were researching him, he learned a lot from that. So he, I mean, 
he started to see how his activity was different. He started to um, even improve his, his, his practices. And maybe we even influence him uh, out of the sport context as well. So it's, it's difficult to, to tell people, like, have a growth mindset. This is going to be important for you. But, I mean, I don't have specific, like, indicators to show them it, rather than, than telling that people that are extremely su successful, they do have such mindset. Yeah. I, yeah, I think those examples are the best thing that I can think of and, and, and leaning on my experience, like showing examples of lifelong learning coaches and how um, there was that work on the, the um, serial winning coaches and one of those mm -hmm. you know pieces of it was that they were lifelong learners. But that's another fun part of the challenge is like, how do we how do we best motivate people? And can we actually like really to the like core level develop lifelong learners and motivate lifelong learners and, and what does that all look like there's so many different things that play into that piece and um i, I want to shift now because i, I think part of a, a learner-centered delivery uh is is this idea of, of competence based and I, I was wondering how millie uh, how they how he kind of set up the assessment of his his coaches because that's always interesting to me as well because you know again in my culture it was hey you're going to take a test in three weeks here's the information you need <laughs> What, what was it like in, in the rugby federation in Brazil and what kind of pieces did he bring in and, and, and just kind of explain that a little bit, if you would. Yeah. So I remember when I asked Mili, when do you assess uh, coaches learning in your courses? He was like, all the time, every question I ask, every question they ask me, every behavior they have in the class, I'm always assessing him. Every feedback I, gave, I give them, I'm always assessing how they are answering to my feedback. If they're opening to continue to learn what I'm saying, or even if their peers are giving them feedback, I always uh, assess how they are responding to that. So one example that I could say is in one of the courses, Mili identified that coaches uh, were like desiring to improve their coaching practices in how they were delivering it. So in the first day, this was a two-day course. In the first day, he uh, grouped them up and asked them to organize uh, short uh, coaching practices, like 10-minute practices. So he watched everyone delivering practices and gave them specific feedbacks. But besides that, he also asked for themselves to reflect on their deliveries. So uh, self, uh, self-assessment and also peer assessment. So before he gave his feedback, he was like, what, uh, what do you guys think about their practices today? How was it? What would you do differently? So after that, he would then the third level of feedback would be himself given feedback as the expert of the course. Right. Um, so in one specific course we had, uh, they had the opportunity to, do, to, uh, to deliver a coaching practice in the first day and in the second day. So he was assessing their changes and on the ground, right? He was, he, and he says that during, the, during one of the interviews, like I was able to see that a lot of them changed how they approached their practice, their, their practice delivering and how they were communicating, where they were standing when the activity was, was going on. So uh, he, he tries to not only to identify uh, in the classroom, but also on the ground, right? 
So um, you spoke about the assessment right now, and you mm -hmm. also highlighted a few um, examples of questions here. And um, my question is here, for example, you said there are, for example, three different levels of feedback assessment, you said. And um, he was asking, well, he obviously he was using a lot of questioning. But for example, when the room got quiet, uh, when there was no answer in the room, how did he handle that situation? I don't remember having that situation because one of the first principles on Millie's delivery is creating a positive climate. So you, you help coaches to understand that they're not going to be judged by their answer if their answer is wrong or if their question is too simple. So you create a positive climate from saying like one of the first slides is like, and I, I remember taking notes on that because I was like, come on, did he take that from learner center teaching? Can't believe he's saying that. Uh, so one of the first slides was like, you are in different stages of development. Respect the other's questioning. And I was like, come on, how can you know that? You know, so he's, he's helping them to understand that every question is important. Every question matters. So uh, I understand Rick, uh, your question, but at the same time, it didn't happen. But it did happen in the three-hour workshop. You know, so we are we're comparing a 15 year course, uh, 15 year, 15 hour course and a three hour course in the 15 uh, hour course. That was never this specific moment that he would ask questions and people would be like, nobody want to ask. I don't want to answer that. But in the three hour workshop where the, the expert expert coach delivered, uh, talked about Scrum for three hours at the end of the of the course, he said, do you have any questions? Like this question, nobody's going to answer that. Or like somebody needs to be like very extroverted, like very communicative to say, yes, professor, I do have a question. But what one of the coaches said in the interview, and this quote is in the article, like Millie made them want to ask questions. You know, he engaged them in the learning teaching process. So they wanted to be like, I did not understand that. Or like, how can I apply that in recreational level? How can I apply that in a high performance level? You know? Yeah. Would, would you say just overall feeling of his sessions, was it more conversational, more discussion? Or was it, or was there still that clear separation between the coaches and the, the coach developer, Millie? No. So every content that he was starting, he would say like, for example, um, planning practices. And I think I present that in the article as well. He's, he would always start with, how do you plan your practices? Yeah. That was the first question. So they, one of them would be like, yeah, I, I normally plan every month, the whole, uh, all the practices that I'm going to have for that whole month. And the other would say like, no, I, I actually like to plan every week. So he, from that, he would say, okay. And now you're, you're talking about like planning frequency, but how do you plan it? Do you identify needs your, your athletes have from that you're going to create it, the coaching plans or how do you do it? So he would like all the time, he was interacting all the time. And from the information they would give him, then they, he would uh, present um, what he was like desiring to do. And sometimes you would see him sk skipping slides on the course because like he had information ready for that, but they don't need that. Or maybe they are too far from that. So like his, his light was very long, but he was not using everything. He was just using what he needed to do to achieve the specific goals 
he he had during the course, right? Yeah, and you're sure this like I, I, we haven't asked this yet uh, off the off the air as well, but this guy doesn't speak English, right? Because I I want to meet this guy. So I, I might <laughs> learn Portuguese just to to have a conversation with him. Um, but no, I, I, he sounds like a great great facilitator right like a, a, yes. a truly truly learner centered so it's really awesome that you got that that chance to learn from him i just want to know you know just kind of a final piece for that puzzle like was there anything that that you saw from him like any kind of mannerisms or any kind of actions like little things that maybe they don't get picked up in the research or they don't get picked up you know when when you're reading about learner theory learner centered theory in a book or something like that was there little pieces like that that you picked up and said, wow, like that, that really makes this guy stand out for me? Like um, any, anything like that? Yeah, like the, the, the slide on the beginning of the course, like everybody's a different level. That was that was impactful. And yeah. I mean, the Brazilian in the Brazilian culture, we are very warm. So we are always touching, like making jokes. So Mili was always doing that. He was always like trying to break the ice of the room. And uh, I mean, like, talk on a one-on-one like like talk to a coach about other topics not coach related topics during the course like when the others are working on an activity he would talk to another another coach so i mean it's very difficult it's very difficult to do what he does and that's why learner centered is always is also dependent on the coach developer or teacher professors um confidence in doing this Mili was not always learner-centered and he's not always learner-centered to this day because maybe he would use the same strategies to break the ice to create a positive climate but the coaches there maybe like they are rivals you know they they come from rival clubs and they don't want to talk to each other so even Mili trying to create I mean I'm just like saying hypothetical I I didn't see this uh, this happening but maybe the coaches don't the coaches there don't want to participate in the course so he's going to have to adopt a more instructor-centered uh, approach because they don't want to share. So you cannot uh, uh, like make sharing mandatory in the course. You cannot do that. So, I mean, it, it's going to, to be uh, adapted to their participants' um, sharing profile as well. It's, it's not always the same, you know? But I think that is actually pretty learner-centered trait if you see that there's a lot of coaches rivalry going on that you switched switch your learner-centered approach to coach-centered because you are just pretty much on the needs of the coaches that are in the course so you actually take the action you take the lead so i i think it's pretty much a, a learner-centered approach and um we have one final question we ask every guest at the end of the episode what is your final message regarding our conversation or overall about Millie? Wow. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote the article by saying that Millie was driven by challenges. He always challenged himself. He always tried to do something different. Um, at least from my interactions with him in the past four or six years. Um, he, he's not the best person in the world. He's not the best coach in the world. He's not the best coach developer in the world, but he's always trying to be the best he can be. He's always trying to do something different, right? And I've seen, I mean, I've, I've, I've done my, my undergrad, my master's and my PhD. And 
I've been, I've had uh, limited experience like I did when I was watching his course. Like his course was special. Even though I, 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 like, I was able to uh, be lectured by extremely competent professors in the university level, Mili was different. And he was definitely different, not because, I don't know, he was privileged or whatever, um, but because um, he always tried to do something different. And he would always try to consider uh, other people's thoughts, you know, like children's thoughts, uh, you know, uh, undergrad students' thoughts. And that, that I, I feel like that's what made him special. He, he was just trying him best. And he, he did a fantastic work for, for the Rugby Federation of Brazil. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, in a few short years when we know Portuguese, we'll, we'll have our first Portuguese episode. <laughs> so, I mean, um, he, he does speak a little English, so okay. he could come yeah. here to share some, some thoughts with you as well. Perfect, perfect, maybe. Um, but Vitor, thank you very much for a, a fun conversation today. It was a, it was a great great chance to get to know you and get to know Millie's story a little bit. And um, I, I think it was a, a lot of things to take away and a lot of things to use in our own coaching and, and coach development. So thank you for your insight. And like I said at the beginning, best of luck as you finish up your PhD. Thank you so much, Jack and Rick. It was a pleasure being here. And I hope I was, I was able to share some of my reflections with you guys. And it was uh, it was a nice conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah. One more time, big thanks to Vita Ciampolini to join the Coaches Road podcast presented by Coach Tools to speak a little bit about um, his study or his, his studies with Millie and how he was following him. And again, I think it was a very valuable episode as he, as the coach developer, Millie was applying learner center teaching approach without even knowing it. And I hope everyone who has been listening until here um, has been enjoying the episode as much as we did and was able to take something away. The first point I would like to point out here today is that it was a very um, crucial point Vita was making that, for example, when he, in general, when he's visiting coaching courses that sometimes or in general coaches, very often they pretend that they know everything um, and they say, I don't need to learn anymore. And I think the examples he provided here with Millie here today, even though he's a coach developer, he, he was the total opposite. I think just this phrase is so powerful because it underlines so strongly that how essential it is to actually really stay hungry and to, to really stay willing to learn all the time and to keep evolving. Because also, as Coach Territory said on our podcast, if you're not willing to evolve, you're going to your way to, to the dinosaurias. Yeah, and, and I think that that's something that is really crucial when you think about you know just being a coach a coach developer or even athletes you know they always need to constantly develop themselves and and I, I think you know he he shares how we can kind of shed light on some examples of the best coaches that are always learning and and the best coaches are you know continuously striving for improvement and I think that's a something that's really important to keep in mind as we go into coach education opportunities ourselves and as in the future, we lead those coach education opportunities. I think um, it, it's it's something that if you go in with a fixed mindset, you're going to leave with kind of no new information and you're, you might just get your certificate and move on. 
but entering with a, a growth mindset is, is vital to, to taking in even the littlest idea that can be applied to your coaching and, and kind of changing your practice and just even the littlest way and having a, a better impact on your athletes. I think the, the, um, the first point that I wanted to bring up in the, in the outro is just how, you know, how someone was able to, and, and just someone, well, maybe not able to, but someone was just being a learner centered coach developer like Millie, because without knowing the theory, because it's, I think it, it's, it kind of gives me hope that there is like really truly learner centered out there because, you know, you think about, um, we talk a lot about this idea of learner-centered, athlete-centered. However, um, you say it, and and there's also the other side, the, the side that you know a lot of sports and a lot of federations are trying to move away from um, when they're coaching and their coach education. And um, to the, to have someone like Millie that just um, was doing it, and and you know, Vitor said he wasn't, you know, he wasn't the perfect um, all the time learner-centered and everything like that. But uh, it shows that you know. For someone out there, it's just natural to teach this way. It's natural to be this way. And it's natural to put, you know, the other people, the the students first in that um, in that education. And it, it was it's nice to hear stories like that, I think. And I think the point that connects to this actually to, to your point that about how Lerner centered Millie actually is, is that because Vita was towards the end of the episode, it was already we were just chatting a little bit about coaching courses and he was describing about the content of the courses and the length and then he was asking this question that are you really going to talk straight for six hours um, or at the same time he was asking for whom do you actually deliver the course is it for yourself or is it for the participants and I think um, that reflects very very well on the how essential, or I mean, in, in Millie's case, how he actually applies the learner-centered teaching approach because he really, based on what um, Vito has been telling and based on his studies, he really went in there and was really applying it, really involved everyone and was really consciously about how he was utilizing um, the participants and how he helped them actually to actually get something out of the course and I think that's a that's a master piece in 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 this this kind of area because as as you said as well from from what I've been hearing and I, uh, from you already working technically as a coach developer is that you want to have so many things there in one session at the same time um, and I think that also reflects a little bit on this point and at the same time it reflect it reflects also on coaching that very often we want to have when when we have when we coach our players very often. We want to have so many things in there at the same time, but it's much more important that um, we actually, that we have like what we spoke also with Daniel Church about it, about like that we have actually like a, that it's not everything dictating, that everything goes back and forth. So that's also with like that there's, that it's, um, that the way that the communication is a dialogue and that everything is going to do it. Yeah. And, I, I think that the important piece is like knowing your participants and knowing when you can move on, when you need to stay and maybe when you need to take a step back and we spent some time on that in the episode. And I think we talk about it a lot, but, you know, Vitor mentioned that that's kind of the beautiful piece of coach development for him and, and knowing, you know, knowing when you can move on, when you can't. And, and 
like the first like and I actually to this day it's still kind of uh, a problem for me where it's like having the patience to know it's okay to sit with this topic until they fully understand it before we move on and potentially you know potentially not getting to everything that you plan to get to that day and and realizing that that's what's actually best for the the learners is to to focus on and learn this part of it before they move on to something that they they can't they can't get to yet so having that patience as a coach developer is something that i think is really hard to develop um and and something that i'm still working on constantly because it it, it just it there's no value in moving on too quickly uh, for for learners whether they're athletes or coaches and, and i think that was a, an important message from the conversation today and i think uh if i just had um one one final message it's the same as as vitor's because it was such a um such an interesting final message to always be driven by challenges and always always be looking for things that challenge you and um trying to do you know something else and i, I really like um the way he said that millie was always trying to be the best that he can be and i think that's a, a powerful powerful takeaway from today's conversation so i think that's a, a good place to wrap it up for our conversation with victor champolini from brazil um again best of luck as he finishes up his phd process and we will see everybody next time thanks for listening and, and thanks for supporting the show um yeah bye